stones were tightly gripped in the palms of the hands of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law as they interrupted Jesus' teaching in the temple courts. A court of witnesses had gathered and brought the guilty woman to stand shamefully before everyone. There was a large crowd of people gathered there. Some were there to hear Jesus teach, and others, well, they had come to trap him. And this woman was the chosen instrument to force Jesus' hand to make a wrong move. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say, shouted someone from the crowd. The trial had already begun. The trial of the woman, but also the trial of Jesus. Jesus knew their hearts, and he knew the law better than all of them. And hands that held stones tightly slowly began to raise as they prepared to throw them at the woman who was guilty of her sin. All they needed was for Jesus to render his judgment against her. Surely he wouldn't question the law if he were truly a devout Jew, would he? Yet if he gives permission to stone her, his reputation for gentleness will be called into question. Jesus had been backed into a corner. At least that's what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thought. Instead of answering them, Jesus bent down and began writing on the ground with his finger. His silence and refusal to respond prompted their frustration and anger to keep pushing him to give them an answer. They wanted a quick response, but Jesus wouldn't give them that pleasure. Maybe he was thinking of how he would respond to them, or maybe he was trying to take the attention away from the woman who had been dragged before everyone. You see, this was a trial of serious consequences. This woman faced the death penalty, and she was at the mercy of Jesus' decision. And she stood there crying and shaking, knowing that everyone waited anxiously to throw stones at her. So finally Jesus stood up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus didn't tell them to stone her and he didn't tell them not to. Instead he turned their attention away from the guilty woman themselves. Jesus disarms them one by one as they begin to think about what he has just said to them. The elders begin to release their clenched fists, dropping their stones to the ground, and soon after the younger ones begin to do the same until the jury had all left the courtroom. This leaves only the judge and the defendant all alone. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. No condemnation. The woman was guilty. 
Jesus doesn't dismiss her sin, but he knows that it takes two to tango, and the religious leaders had conveniently left the man who had been a part of this act out of it, and they didn't bring him before Jesus. And in doing so, they tried to quote the law of God back to him without admitting that both were guilty of this act, and both, according to the law, were to be stoned to death. So Jesus upholds the law, but he also responds with gentleness and with mercy. You see, they couldn't condemn her, otherwise they would have had lied about their own sins being forgiven by God. And Jesus refuses to condemn her too, calling her to reflect on the mercy that she's received and to change her sinful behavior. Her death sentence was sentenced to death by Jesus' mercy. Now, some might find this story comforting, and others may find it a bit disturbing. You see, we live in a world that is mired in sin. And when I talk about sin, sin is far more than just individual acts of disobedience against God. It is a power that affects everything in the world. Think about it for just a moment. Just over this past week, our country experienced tsunami waves off the coast of California. At the same time, there were tornadoes ravaging around the state of Florida. And then here in the high country and beyond, we were getting a winter storm of epic proportions of total inches of snow and winds and and very frigid temperatures. We often don't think that the weather is a result of sin in the world, but earthquakes and extreme heat and fires and violent storms, they are not God's design for life. Sickness, diseases, COVID-19, this is not God's design for humanity. Sin affects everything, from the weather to illness to personal decisions that hurt us and can also hurt others. And to those of us who know we need mercy, we rejoice with Jesus' decision to free her from her condemnation But for those who feel that justice is not served, well, it might be a bit bothersome. You see, we also live in a world where injustices occur every single day. I I don't have to name them all for you to know that they exist. I mean, where else can someone break into your house, get hurt in the process of doing so, and then turn around and sue you for liability and actually win the case? Sometimes people are wrongly convicted, and other times guilty people go free. But we all desire for justice to be served to those who have done wrong. So condemnation is okay for the guilty, right? It's okay to hold stones in our hands and maybe even throw them at those who deserve it, right? Wrong. Jesus' actions and his teachings, they lead us down a different path. He doesn't condone sin. In fact, Jesus takes sin very seriously. Didn't he acknowledge the woman's guilt? Didn't Jesus tell her to stop sinning as an act of her mercy? Did Jesus condemn the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for the stunt that they tried to pull on him? You see, John reminds us in his gospel that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world by his own actions. 
So the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul's words here that we read together are actually based on what he says prior to this. He admits, he says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me uh, me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the Apostle Paul acknowledges the human struggle with sin, and he also recognizes his own sin that prevents him from truly following Jesus. And he tells us that the law was given to help God's people know how to follow in his ways before Jesus came. But the law itself is limited. It shows us what sin is, and it also convicts us of it. So the law in itself cannot save us. Actually, what it does is it condemns us but he says the spirit of god the spirit of god gives us life and no matter how hard we try to follow the law the truth is you and i cannot keep it and some try their best but sometimes they get sidetracked by focusing their attention on their own righteousness and when they do that they have a tendency to also focus on the unrighteousness of others Isn't that what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did to Jesus and to that woman that day? Paul says that Jesus came to do that which we cannot do for ourselves. That Jesus alone is the sinless human being who took on our flesh and obeyed God in every way. To the point of giving his very life as an atoning sacrifice for us. And Paul says that we are already condemned by the law but that Jesus has flipped the script, much like his interaction with the adulterous woman. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh in obedience to God's law by living it fully and then offering his life on the cross for our sins. Therefore, Jesus is the righteous judge who trades places with us. You see, at the end of the day, you and I are the guilty ones, but he sets us free. And then he takes the punishment that we deserve upon himself. And so God fixes what human beings have broken so that we may no longer live in sin, but live in the ways of the Spirit. But there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, although Paul tells us this good news, I find that there are many who profess Christ as Lord who tend to forget to practice what Christ has done for us and many tend really not to truly believe it. I find that we have an extreme extreme tension within the church uh, so that on the one hand we live in a society where everyone is looking to point the finger at the person or persons who they believe are guilty and who need to be held 
accountable. Like the religious teachers of Jesus' day, we gather our stones and hold them tightly, ready to strike. One does not have to look far to see this in our society and in our world. Just look at the COVID crisis that we're going through. There are some who are quick to point the finger at President Trump and his lack of response. There are others who like to point their finger at President Biden and his lack of response. There are others who want to point their finger at Dr. Anthony Fauci and say that he is guilty for what is going on. Some will point the finger at the unvaccinated because they refuse to do anything. Some will point the finger at the CDC for their miscommunication of how we should live and respond. And others will point the finger at nations like us, affluent nations, who have withheld vaccines from poor countries. Everyone holds on to their self-righteousness while ready to judge and condemn who they deem to be guilty. Like a pack of wolves surrounding their prey or a pack of serious Bible thumpers ready to condemn the sinner, we neglect our own sin while focusing on everyone else's. And then on the other hand, there are those like the adulterous woman who shriek in fear. They know their sin all too well. They've heard the good news of Jesus Christ that tells us that we're not condemned, but they live day to day thinking that there's no way that God could truly forgive them for what they've done. Like a prisoner bound to a ball and chain, they never truly feel free and pardoned because they haven't forgiven themselves. Like Paul, they cry out, what a wretched person they are, but they fail to truly trust in the good news that Jesus' grace is like an ocean that swallows up every sin that holds us captive. You see, the world is full of those who throw stones and those who feel that those stones are raised up against them. And I find that the church is also filled with such people. But Jesus has come so that we may not find ourselves filled with anger and ready to strike, and so that we may not live defeated thinking that we have no hope. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. This means that we leave the judging to the righteous judge who is far better equipped to deal with sinners than we are. It's not our place to condemn, nor is it our place to cast stones out of righteous indignation. It's not that as God's people we don't acknowledge sin or that we don't even call it out at times when necessary. It means that we don't have the right to take God's place on the judgment seat. In Christ Jesus There is no condemnation. This also means that our sins have truly been forgiven. We do not have to be prisoners to our past because Jesus does not condemn us. Paul goes on to tell us in 1 Corinthians 6.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we are in Christ And that means that we belong to him. And as the song played this morning says, hold on to me, it means he is holding on to us. And that means that you and I have been set free from the power of sin and death that once held us captive. 
It's not that we don't sin. It's not that we won't experience death in our lifetime. It means that we no longer resist God while choosing sin. And it means that we recognize our own failure to follow God faithfully. And so we solely rely on Jesus Christ, whom alone we cleave. It means that when we mess up, we can acknowledge our sin and turn to our Savior, who freely pardons and forgives us. Being in Christ, this is important, being in Christ is not some work that we must do. Because Christ has already engrafted us into his body. He has done that work for us. Instead, as his people, we are called to remember his great grace, his mercy that draws us in him, and to live according to the Spirit of God, to live in the ways of Jesus, and to trust what he's already done for all of us. As a people who've been set free, a people forgiven, and whose death sentence has been overturned, we can only respond with gratitude by living together as the body of Christ and seeking God's will in all that we say, think, and do. In fact, Jesus commands us in the Gospel of Luke saying this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. See, friends, this is the way of Jesus. And so today, as we worship God, may we rejoice. May we rejoice that we are in Christ together that he has called us into his life and that he holds on to us in the grip of his grace. And he calls us to walk in his ways, to believe his good news that meets us all right where we are. And in doing so, as we seek to live it out, may we not so easily condemn others, nor should we condemn ourselves? For in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.